Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. Normally, I prepare this well-written-out bio for my guest, but our guest today has an insane bio, and I didn't even know how to capture all of the things that he has done, all the people he has talked to, all of his ventures in life. So I'm going to let him talk about it. But welcome, Tim Buick. Hopefully, I am pronouncing your last name correctly. Yes, you are. And the spelling is B-U-W-I-C-K. And my standard line for 28 years is, it's Buick like the car, only we add W for Wilson. (laughs) So, so that way, and they always remembered it, you know, so it's B-U-W-I-C-K. How's that for company loyalty? There you go. There you go. (laughs) Well, that kind of, I mean, gives everyone a sneak peek into some of the stuff we're going to talk about, but you've done a lot in the tennis industry. You have done You've just done a lot. Let's just put it that way. So I want you to give me your bio. What all have you done? What does your resume look like? Give us kind of like... My resume is (laughs) kind of lengthy, yes. Uh, Yes, I have done a lot. Hopefully some of it is good. Uh, (laughs) Others would have opinions of that. But I I think the headliner for, you know, this podcast, of course, is I spent 28 years at Wilson Sporting Goods and, and really loved loved it all. I mean, uh, I literally grew up in the Wilson sporting goods family because my dad worked for Wilson for 39 years. And I can tell you a couple stories about that. So I grew up in the Chicago area because my dad worked for Wilson. Okay. And, and so that's how I got involved. I've, I've been using Wilson my whole life and still mm-hmm. do to this day. And prior to that, I, uh, well, to, to back up, I played competitively, competitive tennis through juniors, high school, college, and, uh, and then outside of that, and then I spent five years in radio and television. So I was uh, a news anchor and reporter and uh, one of those uh, wacky morning show hosts on radio <laughs> and sports anchored and reported and did play by play and all that in the broadcasting realm. And then also I, um, I, you know, did a variety of things there doing commercials and, and that type of thing. And then moved on to uh, the Midtown Clubs, okay. you know, Tennis Corporation of America, the Midtown Athletic Clubs, and went up to Rochester, New York. And I was in their managerial trainee program uh, to being groomed to be one of the general managers of their clubs. And then Wilson came calling. And so I interviewed with Wilson and subsequently got the position as a territory manager at Wilson Sporting Goods based out of Kansas City. So I was there for eight and a half years. And a gentleman by the name of Mike Douse, who uh, was president of Wilson and then has now moved on to be, of course, the CEO of the USTA right now. He was a regional manager for the Wilson uh, Racket Sports Division at the time. And he moved me from Kansas City to Charlotte. And so I was there in Charlotte doing the territory manager gig for another 15-ish years. And then uh, Mike tapped me and said, hey, would you be interested in uh, being U.S. promotions director for Wilson? And so I did that from 2014 to 2018. 
and uh, which was a, a fantastic experience. Mm-hmm. And then left Wilson in March of 2018. Okay. And I have a message that's kind of percolating in my brain. Yeah. And, and that message is going from E to E, going from employee to entrepreneur. Yeah. And it is a totally different mindset. Uh, one small example is when my computer blows up. <laughs> I just can't call Wilson IT and say, hey, I'm going to sh- send the machine back. Can you uh, go ahead and send me a new one? I'll FedEx it. It's, oh, now what do I do? Right. Oh, I got to figure this thing out. And it's figuring everything out on my own. So I've got a couple of businesses, a motivational speaking business. I've got a business called Spider Monkey Solutions, which helps people with personal branding. So such as um, cover letters and resumes and LinkedIn profiles, personal branding statements, elevator pitches, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I've also launched a podcast as well in association with that. So I really am passionate about helping people succeed. And what makes somebody tick? Michelle, what's your unique story and what makes you different than the other 7 billion people on the planet? I love finding that out with a person and how to help people create, communicate, and connect their story to all who need to hear it. Yeah, I love that. I'm obviously probably very kindred in that way. I guess right. us podcasters kind of find our way into like these stories, like, tell me more. Why this? Why that? It's being insatiably curious, isn't totally, it? Totally, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm really, two things just very quickly that I'm so passionate about. And one is, this is the only life we've got. Yeah. So let's make the most of it. And I think about this, and again, it's an honor being on your podcast, is you think about that when we agreed to do this, we say no to everything else we can do in this time slot. Mm -hmm. And I'm honored by that. And I want to make, I want to make that the best possible experience for you. And, and you realize every life is just a series of exchanges and trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And what trade-offs are we willing to make uh, to take that to uh, the top and get the most out of life? And secondly, it's, I call it leaving footprints on another person's heart. Is saying, what are the things that we can do in our life to truly make a difference in other people's lives? And uh, that was my passion for my you know, for my life, and the, especially as U.S. Promotions Director and as a Territory Manager before that with Wilson, is it's about relationships and how we treat people. Yeah, definitely. And as we find it, you know, sometimes I'm sure as you're podcasting as well, you do an episode and you're kind of like, oh, that one might not resonate well with the audience. And then it's like that one person who reaches out and says, wow, that one really set really well with me and I feel good about it and I want to be involved and do that, then you're like, okay, we're on the right path. We're talking to one person. If we can make a difference in one person's life. I, and that, that so excites me. And I have a drawer full of letters and notes that people have written me over the years. Tim, thank you so much. I, I saw you speak and it had such an effect or whatever it might be. And that to me, that's what makes life beautiful. Totally. And um, if you go to, I know you have several websites, but if you go to Tim's motivational speaker website, you are going to be greeted with this video of him talking to Roger Federer. And it's, I mean, props and respect to anyone that has the opportunity to sit down and do that in front of a large audience. So you definitely have 
learned and found your way and connect with people, I'm sure, constantly. So maybe you can give us a little sneak peek into stuff like that. Sure, absolutely. It's, and Roger is a great place to start. I mean, there is a reason why he's the most beloved athlete on the planet of all sports, yeah. consistently number one, is having the privilege of spending the day with him at Sitges, Spain. And the onstage interview that I, I did with him was at our global sales launch for Amher Sports. And that's uh, Solomon and Sunto and Wilson and Atomic and Arterex and the many different brands that Amher Sports has. And uh, so we brought in Roger Federer to do that event. And then they asked me, we were launching one of the new pro staff rackets at the time. This was 2017, I believe. Okay. And, and so then we did a stage interview and we brought in our top customers from around the globe uh, to be this. And Roger was there as a surprise. Wow. <laughs> and to spend the day with him was a remarkable experience in that it wasn't so much doing the stage interview, which Roger just makes it so easy. And we had so much fun. What really impressed me, having a chance to observe him up close and also from afar, mm-hmm. how he treated every single person. And I love the saying that you can really get the sense, the measure of a person, of how they treat someone who can do absolutely nothing for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And Roger treats every person with the same grace and respect, regardless of their position in life. It, it was interesting. I was writing the intros and I, I had to uh, MC, and then I was a chair umpire for coming up after the Federer interview was a, a match with Grigor Dimitrov and uh, Gael Monfils. So I was writing the introductions and I was involved in that. I didn't even see Roger walk in. And he walks, I've got my, my face buried in the, in the laptop and I'm tight. And he says, Excuse me, excuse me, uh, I'm Roger Federer. <laughs> And I was almost going to say, excuse me, do you see I'm working here? You know, <laughs> It was almost as if he felt guilty interrupting me, little old me. Yeah. And that's the way he treats everybody. And I could tell so many stories about that day. But there's one in particular that really stuck in my, my mind is that when we did the stage interview and we were taking questions from the audience and he and I are standing uh, in the back as we're preparing, and we call it a step and repeat. Mm-hmm. So the customers could come up, take a picture with Roger, official portrait, and then step and repeat, and then next people come in. So we're waiting for the people to set that up. And Roger and I are talking. And I said, so Roger, where are you going from here? You you going back to Geneva? Or when he says, yeah, I'm going to go back to Geneva, but then I'm immediately going to go to this small town in Switzerland And he says, Tim, it's going to be so cool. He says, they're going to name a street after me. And they're going to have a parade and all this. And he says, it's going to be so much fun. What is remarkable about how he told this story, there was not a hint of arrogance or ego. He was like a little kid. Mm -hmm. It was just like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. And I got a sense, a window into his soul, so to speak, and, and how he he talks about that. But then one other thing about Roger in this day is that people were getting up and doing the step and repeat, and they would often bring their phones. So you, they'd take a picture, a, a selfie with their phone, and then the official Wilson portrait. 
So a couple comes up and says, Roger, would you take a selfie? And goes like this, takes a picture. Okay. Roger says, wait, hold on. Uh, Ma'am, I think you had your eyes closed in that one. Let's take another one. I love it. And I'm thinking, (laughs) this is a guy who everybody wants a piece of Roger Federer, yet he has the sensitivity to notice that this is her moment. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want a selfie with her eyes closed (laughs) and does a redo. I just... There wasn't a time that entire day where he was looking at his watch going, all right, I've put in my time. I've done my obligation. It was like, what more, what more can he do? And one last thing that, that again, just struck me so profoundly is I had to rush off to to emcee this event. So there's a little Citrus Tennis Club and again, Monfils and Dimitrov and we're having our CEO and Mike Douse is president. We were doing a doubles match. And so just a lot of moving parts. And Roger's in a meeting in one of the back rooms at this hotel. And I just peeked in and I just said, hey, Roger, just want to say great job today. I had so much fun. Thank you. He stops the meeting, gets up, gives me a big hug. And he said, I had a blast. Thank you so much. And I, I talked to Renaud Vallone, who is our U.S. Um, tour director. And I said, Renaud, I was so impressed by that. And he says, you know what? He says, when he likes someone, he just likes to show it. <laughs> and that's true. That's nothing on me. He shows it to everybody. Yeah. I, I just, obviously, I couldn't have been more impressed. I know. I have goosebumps um, listening to this because it's true. I've been fortunate enough to interact with Roger a couple times myself. And that is the one thing that I always tell people is he is the kindest human being. And he will go up to you and say, hi, I'm Roger. As if you're like, of course you are. (laughs) It, It is amazing. And I've had people come up to me who watch him and go, you know what? No way. I mean, that's fake. He's too smooth. Exactly. Polished. Every interview he does seems to be perfect. He always says the right thing. And I I said, I'm telling you, I watched closely. I mean, I really watched him. (laughs) And it is real. It is not fake. Whether you're sitting down at lunch with him Mm one-on-one or whether it's just just who he is. I have to tell one other story. Very (laughs) quickly. This has turned into the Roger Federer <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. One very quick story. We have these new pro staffs that have to be delivered to Roger in Switzerland. So we contact the Munich office and say, we need to get these dozen rackets to Roger. They're the first ones. They're the custom made for him. We need to get it up there. We need someone to deliver it to his house up in the mountains. So the manager there in Munich calls in the intern. And says, hey, I've got a, a, a task for you. Says, yeah, what, what do you need? I run to the post office or whatever. He goes, I need you to deliver these rackets to Roger Federer. Well, the kid already <laughs> starts sweating. Yeah. I'm going to Roger Federer's house. <laughs> so he drives up to the, to the mountains and goes up, knee shaking. Yeah. And he rings the doorbell. And Merka, his, his wife, answers and says, oh, sorry, Roger's not here. He's getting ice cream with the kids, but he'll be back in about an hour. So you want to come in and and just wait? He goes, no, 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 no. I'll I'll just wait in the car. I'm just going to wait in the car. And so he waits in the car for, I don't know how long, 45 minutes, an hour. Roger comes home. He gets out of the car, rings the doorbell again, and Roger comes in and and says, here are your rackets. And Roger says, 
you know what? Hey, I appreciate you delivering the rackets. You want to go for a walk? Kids like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll just go. We'll we'll just go walk for for a while. Yeah. And just starts asking him about his life and says, "You want to grab like an ice cream cone or something?" Oh my grab gosh! Some ice? Yes. <laughs> and they sit on a bench and talk. And of course, he gets the picture. Who does that? He's and, and you amazing. and you think of these low-level celebrities that treat people like trash. And here is, if there's anyone who would be understandable to be a prima donna, it'd be Roger Federer. Mm -hmm. And he's the opposite. I, again, I'm just, I love the guy. I just love the guy. He's he's amazing. He's amazing. And anyone listening, hopefully you all have a chance to interact with Roger because you will we call it the Roger effect. (laughs) You literally walk away like with this like glow and you're just like buzzing because you're just like, he's so much better in person (laughs) than you can even imagine. (laughs) And he's so good when he's on the screen. I mean, that's really saying something. Uh, One thing that just popped in my mind is uh, I've got four kids. Okay. and, And so I'm watching, I think, the finals of the Australian, one of the classic Federer Nadal matches. And I'm going crazy. Yeah. I mean, I am just, I get so animated. And then one of my kids says, Dad, why are you like so wrapped up and passionate about this? I know you like <laughs> Roger. And I I said, I think it was Julia who said this. And I said, I said, Juge, do you see this edition? Basically, Roger built it. I mean, I've sold I've sold his rackets for 25 years. I mean, he gets credit for this this little tube room we built here. Yeah. I got a root for the guy. And I mean, it is. You talk about the Roger effect is we at Wilson, and I still say we, I'll always say we in regards to Wilson, is we've been talking about, so what do we do when Roger retires? We've been talking about that for 10 years. And what did we do after that? And I, in fact, just last night, I was at a platform tennis event. We talked about this. And I said, he's going to be 52. And we're like, gosh, Roger only makes it to the quarters now. <laughs> he's really slipping. <laughs> it's, you know, it's phenomenal. It is funny because like the people that do want to try and find something wrong with him, it's like, oh, he hasn't won a grand slam, but he's still hanging right in there. Good luck looking. Yeah, right? right. Well, maybe you could talk a little bit about finding these players, especially at Wilson. You guys have, you know, you've had some amazing, iconic players who don't just speak for tennis. They transcend the sport. I mean, you've got Serena and Venus. Those ladies are such strong women, athletes, um, advocates for people. Um, you know, they're amazing leaders, not Absolutely. just in tennis. It, yeah. It really goes way back. And again, what immediately comes to mind is it's about relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's something I learned from my dad is you treat people like Roger Federer treats people yeah. I mean, with kindness and decency. And we sure could use more of that in our world right now, couldn't we? Yes. It, and it doesn't, it doesn't take much. I go by the saying, I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of people we like, and then there's those handful of people that just we don't want to be around. But I've always said, I can always be polite. And the reason why I take it in a big picture like that is I go way back to the days 
of Jack Kramer. Mm -hmm. And my dad became a part of Wilson because of Jack. My dad would always remind Jack that he was a ball boy at one of his matches. And he became to us Uncle Jack Kramer. Nice. I mean, he was, he was Uncle Jack to us. Yeah. Because we we did things together and went out to Palm Springs. And Jack Kramer was one of those guys that he established. The, and my dad learned a lot from Jack in, in how you treat people. And subsequently, when the relationships are there, is if that's where it's solid. John Newcomb just popped to mind. Is I signed John and uh, his academy when I came on board as U.S. promotions director, and John Newcomb said, "Hey, I, I really in my career, I really wanted to go with Wilson because of your dad." And just that Rawlings came to me at the time, and I was going to be the face of Rawlings, and I, it, you know, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. But I really, and now that that you're there and the relationship, and John Newcomb is just a great guy. We've gotten to be such close friends, and. Another one. So I talk about those types of relationships. So when we talk about the uh, the cadre of Wilson athletes that that have been there from Venus and Serena and Roger and going back to Billie Jean King and Arthur Ashe and John McEnroe and Jack Kramer and Pete Sampras and it goes on and on and on is it's because of those relationships. And uh, you know, hats off to Michael Wallace who was U.S. promotions director for a long period of time of wrapping up. Venus and Serena and Roger, Ron Rocky, who heads up here. I've got my Wilson hat on, but heads up <laughs> our innovation center who does a fantastic job servicing all the pro players and getting the rackets exactly the way they want it. It's that special touch. And it's not necessarily the size of the contracts. It's, it's taking care of the person. And you know, Roger Federer doesn't have a monstrous, endorsement deal with Wilson, nor does he need one. It's the racket he loves and he knows he's going to get whatever he wants from Wilson because Ron and, and Renault and, and the team do just such a fantastic job taking care of him and all the other pro athletes. Yeah. Um, a quote comes to mind is how you do anything is how you do everything. And I mean, even just talking about like getting the rackets customized perfectly for each player. It doesn't matter if it's Roger Federer or someone that's, you know, just inside the top 100. It sounds like that quality is just like always there and it continues to help build that relationship, which is so important. I try to live by a simple phrase, everything matters. And it's essentially what you just said is everything matters. And you go, oh, this is an email. I, and I can be anal with punctuation and language. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm really that I'm obsessive about that kind of thing. But I, I think just in terms of internal communication with customers and you get something that is so disconnected or, and I go, well, does that mean he's sloppy and everything else? Do I want to do business with this guy if he can't even write a sentence? Right. You know, right? You know and, and because everything we do is a reflection of who we are. Yeah. And so everything does matter. Yeah. For sure. Now, what were some of the pain points that you had at Wilson? I mean, it's easy to talk about those fun events with Roger and all the, you know, the glory days. But talk me through maybe um, some situations where you had to overcome some struggle. And it was like, dang, that was a rough one. Um, anything like that come to mind? I know you had oh, them. Oh, oh, there's way too many of that that comes to mind. <laughs> that we can I don't talk know about. I want to go there. But it's, a, it's a fair question and a good question. 
because life is all about overcoming obstacles. What just popped into my mind right now was I saw someone forwarded me a Facebook picture and on their front lawn was a big sign that just simply said 2020. It was a Halloween decoration. And next to it was a sign that said, this is the scariest thing I could think of. (laughs) I go, that's so true. 2020 has been scary. It is, it's one obstacle after another. And I often look at life as a series of hurdles and say, Tim, I got to just clear the next hurdle. I would say probably simply the biggest challenge that I had to continually overcome at Wilson as U.S. promotions director, and I never came close of doing the job perfectly. And there's things I would have done differently if you know I had to do it all over again and that type of thing. Constantly dealing with the changing budget and a restricted budget, a continually trimmed budget, and yet still try to keep everybody happy. Yeah. Billie Jean King comes to mind. Okay. Of not once but twice having to go meet with Billie Jean and give her the news and just say, this contract is not going to look like it looked like in the past. And here's why. Yikes. And so I flew up to New York to meet with Billie Jean and Elena Kloss. And the three of us had lunch. And she says, you know, we could have done this over the phone. And I said, no, Billie Jean, you mean too much. I said, I want to, I want to have lunch and let's talk about this because I want you to continue to be part of the family. Mm -hmm. And we did. Those are really difficult conversations to have Mm -hmm. with a legend such as Billie Jean. And to, to tell people you're no longer on the Wilson advisory staff. And let's face it, I want people to like me. I I don't want to have those tough conversations, but we have to, there's only so much money to go around and say, sorry, but I can't, if I can't attach an ROI to this line, that we're getting a return on our investment of sending you free product or a contract in terms of money, we can't, we can't do the deal. I, I, it, it, there has to be a measurable because there's people above me that need to see that. And that's totally fair. It's a business, not a charity. Yeah. So that really has been a challenge. And then there's little things like availability. And you know that very well at Tennis Warehouse and go, well, suddenly a, a big gorilla company cannot deliver. Uh, now what do we do? <laughs> it's really, really difficult. So it's the usual business challenges that, that really can be a struggle. And then knowing what's going on internally, mm-hmm. yet facing with the customer or a sponsor and putting the best face forward while still maintaining integrity and authenticity and honesty of saying, here's the situation. Yeah. This is just the truth. I mean, I, I'd love to make something up and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get you something next year. Just hang on. I don't know if next year is going to come. I want you to be part of the family. Yeah. And that authenticity and just being real and honest, I think is so important, especially as a leader. <laughs> it is. It's just being real. It, it's just being real. And I had a saying throughout my entire time at Wilson. And before I get to the saying, a quick little story. Yeah. I started with Wilson. I am embarrassed to tell you how <laughs> ignorant I was. Totally clueless. I mean, totally clueless. So we get to the first sales meeting about six months down the road. And I go to the sales meeting. It was probably the first time I actually looked at the numbers. <laughs> they did not look good. Buick's, Buick's at the bottom. National sales manager comes up. He says, you know, 
one of his favorite phrases. He goes, you know, Buick, these numbers aren't so hotsy totsy. We better, I put my faith in you. We, we better damn well turn things around or in six more months, this is not going to look good. Yeah. And I just ignorantly thought, well, I'll just go out and see people and talk to people and the numbers will magically appear. It doesn't quite work that way. I need to, what I call mowing the front yard. I need to make sure that things look nice and I need to make a sale. So I immediately turned around and it was all about making the sale. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. And I turned the numbers around. But it wasn't long after that, that I realized I'm not having any fun. I'm not enjoying this. And I was driving for the numbers. I was asking for the sale. I was getting the orders in. I was going up, but I was not enjoying it. And it clicked with me. I'm putting the sale ahead of the person. Mm. I can do both. Take care of the person and ask, listen, I think you're crazy not to buy from me. Mm-hmm. But if you don't buy from me, I think you're going to be missing out. But if you, my world's not going to fall apart. And that's where I developed the phrase, you can't take care of the numbers until you first take care of the people. And if you don't take care of the people, both internally and externally, inside your company and outside your customers, you're not going to be able to hit the numbers. You're not going to be able to take care of those numbers. And it always works that way. And that's been my passion. And so that, that really had been my guiding philosophy. Nice. I like that. It sounds like you, yeah, I was going to ask what turned around, but there you go. (laughs) You figured it it out. (laughs) It was. And I realized I had to ask for the order and basic sales things. uh, You just don't go in there and chit chat. And I mean, they're saying, hey, it's time to buy. Yeah. Yeah. There is a a balance to that, but it always starts with people. So then I was going to ask, what's some of your proudest moments that you had at Wilson? And it doesn't even have to be related to any of the players, maybe some numbers that you hit in sales, or maybe there was a product that you were super stoked to to be behind and really push and you saw amazing numbers. What's some of the highlight reel stories? There were some fantastic sales years. Yeah. And and I, I think of individual accounts that had been lifelong Prince accounts or Babylon that uh, one in particular comes to mind that they had been an exclusive um, a Prince account for 25 years. And this was uh, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And they contact me. They said, we're, we're reaching out to you. We're reaching out to Babylon to see what you've got. And so I went up there to meet with them up there being Raleigh. And I went up to meet with them. And they called and they said, we've decided we want to go exclusive Wilson. So that's fantastic. I'm happy to hear that. Why is that? And they said, Tim, even though we never did any business with you, you would always visit maybe once a year, twice a year, just to see how we were doing. You just kept staying in touch. And we figured that you were the guy that we wanted to go with. And I thought that is true. They do buy the person before they buy the company. And that's so often true especially in the grassroots market of which right. I live. Yeah. That was a proud moment. I would say the other in telling the story is about Citrus Spain mm-hmm. that turned into a very, I had to be very nimble uh, because for, for a couple of reasons, I was in a meeting that Monday morning and I get pulled out of the meeting, went through and just said, Hey, listen, the whole schedule has kind of changed because of, they said, we want you to do the Roger Federer interview tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, would you be willing to do that? Like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. Yeah. I, go, I did not have much prep time. 
So I've got to think up with the questions and how it's going to flow. I mean, it was really kind of dropped in my lap last minute. Mm -hmm. And then also doing the Dimitrov and Monfils, um, doing that event is that I believe it was Monfils that was playing the finals of Paris against Nadal the Sunday before. Tough three-set match that Nadal won, but Monfils got injured and said he's not going to be able to do that. So we need to do a whole new program because he does not want to hit out. We're thinking of maybe doing uh, doubles. So I go to our CEO at the time, Heiki Takala, and I said, I really want you to play in this match. No, 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 I do not do that. I do not play. I am not a good player. I do not play. I said, Heiki, we need you on the. No, 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 I am not going, I'm not going to play. I went to our GM. He says, I'm sick. You got to get somebody else. I had Mike Douse on board. And I said, so I went back to Hakey. I said, Hakey, here's the deal. You're going to do the match. Okay. You're going to do the match. We're going to have so much fun doing it and had to set it up where it was doubles and, and have Dimitrov paired up with one and, and Monfils with the other. There were just so many moving parts to be able to pull it off. I'm, I'm glad it went off the way that it did. So I, again, that's a long winded way of saying to me, all, all the real joys come and the successes come from the relationships that I've built over the years and the Wilson sales meetings we have. Uh, all of us still stay in touch and we're close friends again because of those relationships. Yeah. Um, you guys have some great people working at Wilson. And I know I actually personally have some colleagues. I've had players that I've coached uh, work at Wilson, like all the things and always have had such a good relationship with your brand. And um, it's just, it's a fun group of people that are super passionate about the sport and it, you know, it, you can just tell. So whether it's playing on the tennis court or doing deals in the office or grabbing a drink after work, it's like a good crew of people. So it really, it really is. And again, one of my passions is helping people discover their passions. And my definition of passion is for you what do you do that while you're doing the activity, you're already thinking about when you can do the activity again? Now, that's a passion. For sure. I've got two, two that come to mind are fishing and skiing. Okay. Downhill skiing. I'm out there. I'm going, oh, this trip's going to end. When am I going to be able to do it again? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, newer passions are, are, are pickleball and platform tennis. Oh. You know, saying, oh, you know, this is, a, this is a heck of a lot of fun. And so when you when you find those passions and that's where it comes into of, of, of saying it is it's fun to be around passionate people who love what they do. Totally. And what a great transition. Let's talk a little pickleball and platform tennis and all of that. I think you just recently took on a new role in that realm. So maybe you can give me some more information on that. Yeah, I'd be happy to is yes. Speaking of passions love platform tennis, which we simply call paddle. Okay. Uh, obviously, mostly it's played in the Northeast and the Chicagoland area, but it's starting to spread down down the Atlantic coast, the Southeast. There's some going out, out, out West, but it's still very much a niche sport. We built, we say an old Providence racket club here in Charlotte, North Carolina, built two platform tennis courts in 2012. And the program has just continued to grow. And it's just been a passion of mine I liken the sport of platform tennis to two other sports, basketball and baseball. 
in that basketball is a game of momentum. And in platform tennis paddle, you could be oh, up 6-0-5-0 and the wheels come off the bus and lose. The momentum <laughs> swings are so quick because you only get one serve. So okay. if you can hold serve over 50% of the time, you're doing really, really well. And the points just tend to steamroll. It's like baseball in that there's a saying that in baseball, if you go to a game, oftentimes you're going to see something you've never seen before. And the points can be so crazy in platform tennis, playing it off the screens and that you see and you go, I cannot believe you hit that spin shot off the top and <laughs> rolled off the top of the net, bounced over, I got it, then you lobbed and went in the court. I mean, the, the points can be totally wacky. So it, it's just a, a passion of mine and we've got a vibrant paddle community. Okay. So I serve on the paddle committee at Old Providence Racquet Club and then they came to me and said, we've formed a, a newly created position, the director of paddle sports, which would be for platform tennis and pickleball. We'd like you to do it. Said, well, I got a lot going on right now, but I'm passionate about both sports. <laughs> and if I'm true to my word that you live your passion, mm -hmm. and they, they set it up where I couldn't really say no, just in terms of flexibility and what I could do with the program. But how could I say no? Yeah. I mean, just just go for it. And because I get to work in the area of my passion. Pickleball has been a discovery for me and a quite surprising one. Because I have been on the tennis side of the fence and the platform tennis side of the fence, as I've always said about pickleball, is pickleball's this rinky dink backyard game with a <laughs> wiffle ball where you knock it around. It's like something you do at the beach to goof around to pass the time. It's not any, it's not a, a real sport. Yeah. And I really, I, I always called it a poor man's paddle. And sometimes tennis people would call paddle a poor man's tennis. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a natural tension there. Then I started playing pickleball and then started playing pickleball at the upper levels. I was surprised. <laughs> In fact, shocked because I didn't think the points were going to be as imaginative. Probably my least favorite racket sport is racquetball, just simply because you can't do as much with it. You can't lob. There's, you know, not really de facto overheads. Touch shots are very rare. In pickleball, you you can use the whole array like you can in squash. Yeah. It, and I really love to dink. You have to work the points. There's a strategy to it. And Contrary to popular opinion, oh, that's an old person's sport. <laughs> when, when you can't move anymore, yeah, go ahead and pick up pickleball. Oh, there are times I play pickleball and I can wring out my shirt when I'm done. A hundred percent. I'm still not sure where I want to stand on the pickleball line, but I do have to um, brag a little bit. I, my, myself and Mark Boone, one of our other play testers, are the pickleball reigning champions at Sports Warehouse. There you go. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank I'm you. Well sure. <laughs> yeah. So there's actually a bunch of us that have dabbled. Um, aside from that, we have played some tournaments outside of our own, <laughs> our own court, but it is really fun. And I think the biggest thing that I would love people to know who are tennis players who have never tried pickleball or they might be unsure, it helps your hands, your movement and your doubles so Absolutely. much. 
Yeah. You are so right. You are so right. And I can say the same thing about platform tennis. Okay. Is my volume has gotten so much better. You just simply do not have the time. And I realized just how much movement I had in my volleys. And I'm going, no, just be still and calm. Yeah. Just pop those volleys. Yeah. And and it does help. It, it, it You know, again, it's hand-eye coordination. I do believe, and I know there's not a small number of people who disagree with me. I do believe pickleball and tennis can coexist. I don't think it's an either or. I don't think you go and say, okay, I'm a pickleball guy now and I no longer can do tennis. They're two different dynamics, two different sports, both beautiful sports in their own right. I understand in terms of pickleball taking over more and more tennis courts and there's a tension there. I'm dealing with that, you know, in my new position at Old Providence is I know that's going to be an issue. I think they can coexist for the benefit of all. And it's getting people outside and active. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Yeah, no, I 100%. That's where I hope to see the sport go. And maybe you have a better insight into that. But I would love to see pickleball and tennis coexist. You have people playing tennis, maybe after you've done grinding it out on the court, hard court for two hours or an hour and a half, you go play a game of pickleball. And it's, a, it's just fun. It is fun. You, it, it can be very competitive. Let's be honest. In the tournament setting, it's brutal. People are oh, there to win. <laughs> oh, they, oh, absolutely. It's got every other element that any other sport has. Yeah. And again, that caught me by surprise. I, you know, I, I didn't expect that. And I didn't expect the points to be as interesting as they are in what you can do and go, okay, I think I know how we can beat this team. And it, it hey, you do that in every other sport. Yeah. You say, okay, so where are their strengths? Where are their weaknesses? How do we play this? Uh, where uh, where are we going to get the opening? And like in tennis, like in platform tennis and so many others, you've got to construct points and say, it's not all about hitting that one winning shot. It's, if, if I hit these three shots in combination, now I can put the ball away. And yeah. you got to think about it. I wonder too, if tennis players have tried pickleball and hate it because they're not as good as they thought they would be. Because you cannot hit through the other team or the other person. And mm-hmm. like that third shot, that's tough. You got to, you got to practice that. It is the third shot drop. It is a, it is a tough shot. And I see the same thing in platform tennis is almost all of us came to platform tennis paddle from tennis. Okay. And so we brought our tennis mentality. Yeah. Hit the overhead as hard as you can hit the power drives. Well, guess what? it comes off the back screen and you're playing somebody decent and you may need dental work. You can't be doing that. You take something off of it. You've got to craft it. And I love playing a touch game, which so pickleball and paddle are both perfect for me. I love squash, although I haven't played in a dozen years at least. Mm -hmm. I love that sport as well for the same reasons. Again, they can coexist. It's, It's having a different mindset in each one of those sports. And I, to me, that's the challenge. And I, Unfortunately, I've had, I'm, I'm worried that I might be headed towards surgery on my right shoulder. I, I've got some sort of right, uh, something going on and I'm worried it's a rotator cuff, but I had a league match last night in paddle mm-hmm. that I had to get a sub. I just, I hit three balls and I go, this is, I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to play. Yikes. I tell you this because I've been playing pickleball left-handed and it's the difference between the conscious and the subconscious mind. Me as a right-hander, 
I don't have to think about hitting the shots right-handed. Right. Left-handed, I have to think, all right, that's right. I'm thinking about the grip, low to high. It's that high backhand left-handed that I've got. Okay, I've got it. <laughs> all right, watch the ball, Tim. If I don't watch the ball left-handed, bad things happen. I can get away with it righty. Yeah. So I find that as a special challenge as well. And I think tennis players can find those special challenges in both platform tennis and pickleball. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I like that. Next time I'm gonna go play pickleball left-handed and we'll see see what I well, can and, come and, up with. <laughs> well, and that's true, and it gives you a greater appreciation for those that are the at the beginning stages. Totally. Going, okay, so this is this is how they're dealing with it. Because those of us that grew up in racket sports our whole life, we yeah, we know how to swing. Yeah. Um, and that leads me to mention to our listeners, we do actually have a pickleball website that has a bunch of gear totalpickleball.com we'll have to do like a yeah a pickleball centered episode with all the experts Bring i would them in. love to do that yeah i'll be up to speed by that time i could do that both for platform tennis and pickleball i can easily promote both platform tennis and pickleball and tennis mm-hmm. and all those sports for all the health benefits if you've got access to play additional sports do it there's no harm no foul Totally. One doesn't have to be the enemy of the other. Yeah, exactly. And it will, like we said, it will help you in the other categories. So no question. No question about it. I know you have a lot of stories. I could tell you a story about how the classic 6.1 got into being. Oh, I could tell wait, you. Why didn't we start there? <laughs> well, kidding. we could. I know that's your passion. I had Jimmy Connors stay at our house. But which as a kid, which was quite the experience. And I could also tell you a story about Billie Jean King that I think I'll start. Let me start there since we were talking about professional tennis players. Yeah. I was when I was doing the managerial trainee program at Midtown Tennis Club in Rochester, New York. Mm -hmm. We had Billie Jean come in for an event and we had some 500 people. It's a large Midtown Tennis in Rochester, large club. And she came in to do an exhibition. I ended up emceeing the event and was the chair umpire. And I was giving Billie Jean a hard time through that. And I go, and so after that event, we had some 500 people there and it really went well with all our pros got involved and people had a great time. And so after the event, Billie Jean had a private meeting with all the pros at the club in, in just kind of in the back room. And we're all sitting there and it was kind of Q&A for Billie Jean. And somebody had asked her a question about how she got into tennis and her start. And Billie Jean looked at me and she said, that's Tim Buick sitting over there. I have to tell you all something. I am in tennis because of his father. I did not know this. What? So I knew (laughs) that my dad had taught Billie Jean tennis in Long Beach, California at the Long Beach Tennis Patrons Mm -hmm. in the public parks there. I had no idea. She said, I would not be in tennis if it wasn't for your father. That's crazy. And I, I did not know that. So, so everyone looked at me and they said, why didn't you tell us? I said, I, didn't. <laughs> I said, I knew that, you know, they, he taught her tennis and they, they played back in the day. And she told the story of that her brother is Randy Moffat, who used to be a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. Well, he was... In, especially here, we're talking late, mid to late fifties, I believe, mm-hmm. is that women did not have the same opportunities in sports that they do now. 
So Randy was favored. So the best pros would always play with Randy. Mm-hmm. And Billie Jean didn't. And my dad, every Saturday, would take Billie Jean out and teach her tennis and hit with her. And, and that. And she says, I'm in tennis because of Jean Buick. Wow. And I thought that's amazing. And Billie Jean, to this day, is a close family friend. And we've stayed in touch and we text and she's never forgotten that. And it, it really, uh, it, it really impressed me of how much it meant. And not only that, but just, again, she's another one who treats people in such a special way and, and her passions and how she has revolutionized sports for women as a true pioneer someone I have a great deal of respect for. Yeah, I've heard amazing stories. Like she interacts really well. She really is genuinely invested in the people she talks to. I've heard all of these things. Um, I've also noticed, this is silly, but on Instagram, she congratulates young women who are doing great things, you know, won a small tournament. And you see Billie Jean King just commented and said, great job. And I'm like, wow, that's really, really, really cool. I want to hear a little bit more about your dad. Tell me what kind of person, obviously you're giving us a great viewpoint of what kind of an amazing human he is. And I would love to hear a little bit more about him too, since he kind of, obviously you've been very influenced by him and other people, other amazing people in our sport have as well. So talk Uh, to me about it. Well, my dad passed away in 2004. Okay. And so again, he got involved in Wilson because of Jack Kramer. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a, I, I believe started as a territory manager, a sales rep, out of Louisville, and then moved into the Chicago office, I believe was a a regional manager at that time, and then was moved out west to take over the western regional manager out of LA. So Mm -hmm. as a seven-year-old, we moved out to Southern Cal. We were only there for nine months because Olin Parks, who is a legend in the tennis industry, unfortunately, they called him the Big Bear, great guy, uh, suddenly died of a heart attack. Mm. And my dad was offered the national sales manager position based out of Chicago. So then we moved back to Chicago and my dad took over that position and gradually rose to vice president of sales and promotion throughout uh, his career. And my dad was very instrumental in uh, the introduction and play test of the T2000. Uh, I, I did a play test with Jimmy Connors for the T3000. I was on the wow. court hitting with him. So we had... Um, it was an unusual upbringing because we were around uh, so many of the great stars. I yeah. learned a profound life lesson from Tony Trebert, who, if I have my history right, won the 1954 French Open, could have been 55, uh, and when he was the last U.S. player to win the French Open until Michael Chang. So Tony Trebert came over to the house, and I'm a little kid at this time. And he sticks out his hand back when we could handshake. (laughs) He sticks out his hand and I give him a dead fish handshake. And I don't (laughs) think I look at him. He gets down on his knees. He says, son, let me tell you something. When you meet someone, a firm handshake and look him in the eye and say, I'm very pleased to meet you. So he says, why don't we try this again? <laughs> so gets up and says, hi, I'm Tony Traber. What's your name, son? My name's Tim Buick, Mr. Traber. Very nice to meet you. 
that's the way to do it. Nice. And I was like, I learned the proper handshake from a French Open champion. <laughs> and, and so it's it's those type of experiences uh, that that made for kind of a unique upbringing. And so then when I had the opportunity to come on board with Wilson, the passion's already there, the his, history's already there. It was learning the business. And so it's it's just been a fantastic ride. Yeah. So it's always been tennis for you. It's never, have you ever wavered and thought maybe, maybe we're maybe not tennis or is it always just? Yeah. I've always loved broadcasting. I loved my time in radio and TV. Um, It's one of the reasons I'm loving this podcast now. Yeah. Doing this podcast with you and then doing my own podcast as well is I'm insatiably curious. I want to know what makes people tick. And like we talked about at the outset of this show, so I've always had a love for that communication of how to help people get their point across. And again, I, I go back to what I said at the very beginning, living, leaving footprints on another person's heart of what can we do to positively influence and persuade people? Like we're passionate about tennis. We're mm-hmm. passionate about paddle sports. How can we best package it so that someone who is completely ignorant of all three sports and say, you got to try this. What's the best way to say it? Because we want to do it for our industry. It's great for the tennis warehouse business. It's great for Old Providence Racquet Club. It's great for our entire industry and everyone who's involved in it. What's the best way to persuade? And I look, and my philosophy is, again, to to wax philosophy again, Mm -hmm. but everybody's in sales. Everybody's in sales. And they go, no, 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 I'm not a salesperson. So, oh, really? So you and your significant other on a Friday night are sitting and say, well, what do you want to do? Well, I want to go out to dinner. I'd, I'd love to go see a show. Who wins? I, had, I asked that question of a group once and, and a guy yelled out, she does. <laughs> she always wins. Well, she's the better salesperson. Right? <laughs> so how can we persuade and package our sports in a way that it persuades those who maybe aren't even athletic. And, and I see that's one of the benefits to pickleball mm-hmm. is even for you tennis people that hate pickleball, mm-hmm. it's an entry into racket sports that they could then have a pathway into tennis. Think about that. I think that's really important. So true. And I said it before, it's one sport that our entire building can participate in without ever having stepped foot on a tennis court. And and consider that tennis people, consider that a win. Yeah. That is a win for racket sports. And let's, let's look at getting as many wins as possible. If, as an example, if I set up a massive pickleball program and a massive platform tennis program at Old Providence Racket Club in Charlotte, Bringing all these new people in, guess what they're going to see there? They're going to see tennis courts. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Does that increase their chances they might step onto one if they've never played before? It absolutely does. And I would be talking up the tennis program. Why don't you become a full member? Yeah. And so I, again, I, I see it as a win. For sure. And I wanted to circle back because you teased a subject and something (laughs) at Tennis Warehouse that we, you know, part of what we love to do is be passionate about tennis. And what we like to do is have fun doing what we do, which I'm sure our listeners know that and anyone that watches our videos kind of knows that we're having fun doing our jobs. Um, 
but we love to geek out. And you said six one. Can we get a story about something? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I can give you a story about something. Our, <laughs> <laughs> I think our listeners would love to hear a geeked out something about a Wilson Pro stuff. Maybe an evolution. I don't know. You tell me. You tell me the well, story. Well, the story, the story that I have to tell was okay. very. It was my first year with Wilson in 1990, okay. if I remember correctly. The height of the wide body rage. So the profile comes out in 86, 87. This racket in, I believe, late 89 or 90 was the Wilson Profile 3.6, okay. which was the silver one. The original one was just the Profile, and then we renamed it the 2.7. So the first wide body that I sold was the Wilson Profile 3.6. And these things, you know, 36 millimeter beams, super, I mean, you, they were howitzers. Yeah. And so it helped a lot of people get power because the the rackets were so stiff. Stable. And and they were incredibly stable. You didn't get the vibration. You had an increase in shock. And so there was always a balance between shock and vibration. So we're at a sales meeting and we are fully into the wide body. Whereas the leaders in wide bodies or technological revolution, the talk at that time is the entire industry is going to wide body. It's a matter of time that the old 17 millimeter, 20 millimeter, 22 millimeter beams are going to be in the past. So our general manager at the time gets up and says, I'm going to introduce a racket to you that will not be featured in the catalog. You will only get one show sample. They do not belong in your demo bags. You don't talk about this racket. The only reason we've got this racket in the line is Stefan Edberg needs a racket. And we need to get a new updated cosmetic for this. So that's why we've got it in the line. But I do not want you out selling this racket. And it was the Pro Staff Classic 6.1. That soon became the best selling racket in the industry for three years running which shows the power of Wilson marketing at the time (laughs) is it's the consumer that determines the winners and the losers. We may want something to be a winner, but ultimately it is the consumer. It's the player that decides who the winners and losers are. And that pro staff classic 6.1 is one of the all time best selling rackets in the history of the industry. What a legacy. Yeah. Thank goodness. Someone had the audacity to put it back out there. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you, Stefan Edberg. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Very true. Anything else that you want to share with our audience? I'll tell you my Jimmy Connors. Yeah. Okay. We twisted his arm. (laughs) I'll tell you that. I'll I'll tell the Jimmy Connors story. This I knew something told me when we met that this interview was not going to go short. (laughs) So you can edit out the vast majority of this and make it a 12 minute podcast. This is great. I love it. So, So with Jimmy Connors, I'll just say it as a kid growing up, I hated Connors. <laughs> I just, I was a John McEnroe Bjorn Borg guy mm-hmm. and I hated Connors. I thought he was a spoiled brat, his annex and all that. And listen, Connors is a Wilson guy and a good friend of my dad's. And I, <laughs> I but I hated it. I'd always root for whoever Connors was playing. In fact, one other quick aside story about this is I was at the heavyweight championship of tennis at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. Jimmy Connors versus Rod Laver. And I stenciled Connor's rackets for that match. 
And I remember the stencil ink breaking, the cap came off, and stencil ink went all over the no. bleachers at Caesar's Palace. I go, oh my gosh, I am in trouble. I am in trouble. And, and I rooted for labor in that match, even though I stenciled Connor's rackets. I wanted labor to win that one. So that's how passionately I did not like Connors. Then my dad comes home and says, we're going to have Jimmy Connors at the house for three days. Oh no. We're going to be doing a, a play test. I believe at that time it was for the T3000, either the T3000 or T4000, but I think it was the T3000. So he's going to be staying over for a few days. Be polite. <laughs> Don't trip him. <laughs> please be well-behaved. I know, Tim, that's going to be a real stretch for you, but please be well-behaved. So. Connors comes over to the house and I already don't like the guy. <laughs> Jimmy very quickly won me over. Oh. He was just a regular guy. So I'm thinking at this time, I think I was 13 years old, said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to challenge Connors to a, a match in table tennis. I'm decent in table tennis. Mm -hmm. I'm going to kick his butt in table tennis. Then I'm going to go to school and say, guess what? I beat Jimmy <laughs> Connors. I, I waxed him. I'm not going to tell you what sport, but I beat him. So we play table tennis. I believe Connors beat me something like 21 to two. Oh no. And he had a two fisted backhand <laughs> destroyed me. I mean, just humiliated me with a two fister in table tennis. I go, okay, I get it. I get it. But wow. Connors was an absolute gentleman. We did a play test out on the court and, and, and hit, and he did. He won me over. I, no. I'm still a McEnroe guy, uh, it, just as a, a guy growing up and, and following. But uh, Connors uh, really did win me over. He uh, was a complete gentleman, and it was great having him at the house. And we did have some friends that we said, hey, listen, Jimmy Connors is over <laughs> at the house. You want to come over? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. Because this was a high. Both he and Billy, or he and Chrissy Everett both won Wimbledon that year. And so this was, he was at the height of his career at this time. So it was a lot of fun to have him there. That is so crazy. These are such cool stories. <laughs> Just, you know, hanging out with Jimmy. <laughs> it was, it was, it was pretty cool. They, yeah, there's quite a few more stories in the, in the story bank, but I won't bore you with them now. And it just popped into my mind in terms of when you were talking about how much fun you have at Tennis Warehouse and all the things that you do. It is my passion that when we enjoy doing what we're doing, we're going to do a better job doing what we're doing. We uh, we covered the full spectrum today, didn't we? Yeah, and pickleball. Try it out. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so much that uh, we can learn. Yes. Oh, what a fun yeah. chat. Thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully we'll, we'll get to chat again soon. And Let's do it. I would, I'd love to do that. I'll research the pickleball okay. equipment market for you so I can speak intelligently on that. And again, it was a, a joy and a privilege to be with you, Michelle. Absolutely love chatting with you and connecting and hearing all of your amazing stories about you, your dad, and all the players you've been interacting with. So thanks so much for joining us and happy hitting. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com tenniswarehouseeurope.com and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time, happy hitting. I, 
I think I have a feeling with us, it's going to be uh, very extemporaneous and free flowing. Nice. Good big words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it means, but I looked it up last night. I said, I got to throw it in. <laughs> nice. I love it. 